Welcome to Financial Perspectives, the podcast, where we cover timely topics related to the current economic environment and keep you up to date on investment news. We also provide insights on how investors can maintain a long-term perspective. Please stick around at the end for important disclosure information. More information about Foster Group can be found in our ADV brochure at fostergrp.com. Hello. Uh, We have a special uh, guest today on this edition of Financial Perspectives. His name is Dave Butler. Dave is the co-CEO of Dimensional Fund Advisors based in Austin, Texas. Um, Dave's been the co-CEO since 2017. Foster Group has worked with Dimensional. They are a provider of mutual funds, investment research, and consulting. And we've worked with Dimensional for almost two decades now. And uh, they've become really an important, I'll call them a partner, even though there's no financial interest between Foster Group and Dimensional, but they've partnered with us and helped our firm grow in ways that we really appreciate. So we're very thankful to have Dave with us today. Dave, thanks for uh, being with us today. We're looking forward to a good conversation about Dimensional, your firm, and all the things you've been doing for investors through the years. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. and really happy to be here. All right. Well, I, let's start off with your background. You've had an interesting one. I uh, did some reading and you've talked about it a little bit in the past, starting with college basketball, a little professional basketball, and then on to Wall Street before Dimensional. It's kind of an interesting path uh, to get there. Tell us a little bit about that path. How did you end up from kind of a star basketball player to now leading a, a big organization like Dimensional? Yeah, well, a lot of fun. It was a good, it was an interesting uh, navigation through through those time periods. But um, you know, I'm a tall guy, so if people can't see me, I'm about six foot nine. And when you're six nine, you know, you naturally kind of gravitate towards basketball. So that was what I did, and um, had the opportunity to play college basketball, and uh, ended up going to Cal Berkeley, uh, University of California. Uh, played played five years there. Hurt my knee one year. Um, redshirted, and I, I was able to play my fifth year as a grad student. So I was able to start my MBA uh, there as well. Um, at the end of my career, I got drafted by the Celtics. So uh, I had a chance to uh, uh, go to the NBA. They had a strike the year I came out, so that didn't happen. And I uh, got a phone call from a team in Istanbul, Turkey. And I ended up going over to Istanbul and playing my first year there. Uh, then played a second year in, in Tokyo, Japan, actually in Yokohama, Japan, just right outside of Tokyo. Um, then came back and um, uh, decided to uh, finish up my MBA at Berkeley and uh, did that. And, and then uh, got my first job in, in New York on Wall Street as uh, one of the big investment banks. So kind of a, a bit of a, uh, you know, kind of winding path, if you will, to uh, where I am now. But uh, like everybody's story, I was kind of a a kind of a lot of starts and starts, start, starts and stops along the way. Yeah, I was, I was reading about your basketball background. One of the things that I, you know, at six nine, you're obviously a pretty tall guy. But then I read you've got a brother who's seven feet tall. Yeah, so you weren't yeah, even the yes. tallest guy in your own house. Yeah, I was a little guy <laughs> in the family. Yeah, exactly. He's a seven footer. He he uh, he ended up playing at Stanford, and then he got drafted by the New York Knicks. Played two years with the Knicks, a year with the Clippers. Uh, we end up actually playing against each other. So Cal and Stanford are big rivals in college sports and, and we uh-huh. end up guarding each other. We played the same position. So we, we guarded each other for two years there, uh, in that rivalry, which was a lot of fun. So the, the running joke in the family was my mom would wear her Stanford sweatshirt. My dad would wear a Cal jacket and they'd sit <laughs> in the stands and, and kind of be neutral on who they were rooting for. Oh man, that would have to be, I mean, I just got to, are you, is your family this tall? Are you all tall? 
No, I think we're not, you know, my, my older brother's six, four, I'm six, nine, Greg's seven foot. Uh, then I've got a younger brother that's six foot three. So we've got height in the family, but, um, I think it's my dad's mother was about five eleven, and she was born in 1900. So, uh, I think in those days for a woman to be almost six feet tall was that, that was the, probably the height in the family, I would guess, and, and where we got it. Um, but we all played basketball and we, we played all the sports and, and, you know, when you have four boys in the house, I mean, I'm sure your listeners with a lot of sons can understand it's, it's always chaotic and a lot of fights and a lot of wrestling matches and a lot of one-on-ones and, you know, a lot of competition. So that was, that was a fun, fun way to grow up as a, as a young kid. Yeah, I bet so. I bet so. Well, Hey, if, um, one of the things I know we talked about just last week when we were getting ready for this call is that your story, kind of how you got to dimensional and really around who dimensional is. I know one of the big stories really recently is dimensional has produced kind of a film or maybe dimensional cooperated with a documentary uh, director, producer, to have a film produced called Tuning Out the Noise, which really does a lot of explanation around how dimensional came to be and how dimensional thinks about investments. Tell us a little bit about that movie and kind of what the, what we might want to expect if we see it. Yeah. 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 No, there, there's a lot of pride around dimensional for folks at the firm. I've been here for 30 years coming up in January of next year. So I've had a chance to watch the firm grow from about 9 billion under management to now 675 billion under management. So uh, I've been able to watch this growth and, and the growth of the firm. And it's been really uh, impressive and, and been happy to be along for that ride as well. Uh, we, we have a, a gentleman that's also been here 30 years, a guy named Robert Dinsner, uh, who I kind of consider our historian at Dimensional. And he also is a big film buff. Uh, and one of his favorite producer directors is a guy named Errol Morris, uh, who happens to be a Nobel, uh, Nobel Prize winner, a <laughs> Academy Award winner in um, for a uh, film called to, uh, uh, Fog of War. Uh, and that was the description of Robert McNamara's description of the Vietnam War and kind of U.S.'s involvement and so forth. So we got an Academy Award for that. Great producer. Uh, Robert actually ended up sending an email uh, to Errol and basically started describing this kind of evolution uh, in, in asset management and capital markets, particularly the 1960s when uh, data became available and in you know, academics in at Chicago and other universities started looking at data and trying to understand what more about the markets, and that really led to this kind of evolution and uh, introduction of index funds. And mm -hmm. so, this story is one of the people really that were involved in this this kind of massive movement uh, that we've all seen uh, over time to a more passive index oriented uh, capital market exposure for for clients. And then also the independent advice that kind of came out of that uh, movement as well. So it's a um, it's a it's a story built around characters. Uh, really takes us from the 1960s all the way up to today. I saw an article last week saying that index funds or passively managed funds now are over half the market. So you know something like 51 percent of the market now is is in index type funds. Uh, and I think that was about three or four percent when I started 30 years ago. So clearly there's been a lot of uh, data. And a lot of momentum around this movement towards uh, away from active management towards more passively or index managed uh, type portfolios. And Dimensional obviously is a big part of that story. Uh, when you look at the roster of people that have been involved at Dimensional, and I mentioned Nobel Prizes, we've we've had five Nobel Prize winners involved with the firm over the last uh, 40 years, uh, which is pretty impressive. And and those folks are really the ones that you know stepped back and said, let's let's look at the data. 
Let's look at the returns from the market, what an individual investor should get from the market, uh, and then find out whether the the funds that were out there, the actively management funds, were delivering on that investment return. It turns out they weren't. And a lot of the data and research that came out in the 60s suggested just that. And that was sort of the impetus for starting index funds in the early 1970s. And, and Dimensional's founders were, were all of the folks that were actually involved in the first launch of index funds. And as you know, uh, Dimensional then was started in 80, 1981. And that was really the story of trying to make the initial index funds that were started in the 70s uh, better. Um, you know, How do you implement better on a daily basis? How do you target certain risk dimensions that are going to give you higher returns? So Dimensional is sort of this boutique uh, outcome uh, from this basis of foundation of kind of a, an index type uh, viewpoint on the markets. And like I said, all the uh, the characters in this film really are the ones that uh, have developed that uh, story and really have made a great offering for for individual clients, all the clients that work at Foster Group who use dimensional funds. It's a it's a really uh, significant outcome for them in terms of their retirements and well being and so forth. So happy to, happy to be part of that. And the story in the movie is one that I think just brings it to life in a way that you know, maybe is more digestible for the average person that's not a finance major. It's really mm -hmm. built around personalities and, and um, stories and uh, backgrounds on people that, um, that, that then uh, Errol Morris ties into this overall story of, of how we got to where we are today in terms of how people uh, index and how they invest their money uh, on a go-forward basis. Yeah. Well, the title is interesting. I think the title is Tuning Out the Noise. Is that the title of the documentary. So yeah, just so, uh, it's tune just, out the noise. Yep, tune out the noise. So so comment a little bit on why that title. Yeah, I think it's funny because Errol Morris again. He was he's not an, a finance person. Uh, he's a storyteller. He's a uh, a director producer, and he literally took uh, seventy hours worth of uh, of interviews uh, across twenty three different people uh, that were involved involved in some way with dimensional. And he narrowed down kind of what he thought were the themes. And one of the big themes in his mind was this concept of tuning out the noise in the sense that uh, for all of us as investors, there's a lot of noise. There's social media and there's TV and radio and ads and, uh, you know, uh, experts out there that are going to tell you that they will find something better. Uh, they'll, they'll be able to beat the market in some way. They'll be able to find the right stock. And what we've always found here at Dimensional is that if you're able to, quote unquote, tune out the noise and remove all of that stuff from your kind of investment life and your investment journey, you're going to be much, much better off. So it was interesting mm -hmm. that Errol Morris, again, as a non-finance person, after listening to all these interviews and, and so forth, that he came out with that name or that title as really probably one yeah. of the big themes that he picked up from this whole thing. And so he... You know, along the way, I think he became an investor and his producer became an investor. All the people that sat and listened huh. to these, these uh, folks tell the story, they all they all became investors in the funds. And I think that's been uh, that's one of kind of the fun parts of, of that whole story is that these folks who had never really heard the story became very, very engaged in it, very interested. And they asked the question, you know, why why hasn't the story been heard more? You know, why do not why do more people not know about this approach to investing? And that was really Errol Morris's kind of aha moment, if you will. And uh, when when Robert Binsner, our, our employee here at Dimensional, sent that email, he assumed that that Errol wouldn't wouldn't send anything back, would just kind of go into junk mail, whatever. But he said Errol called back and or emailed back in like thirty minutes, and said, "I love the idea. I love the concept of the story. I want to hear more." 
And as he started to roll up his sleeves and heard more about the story, he just thought this was a really significant story that had to be told. So that's, that's the movie. And that's, uh, uh what I think, um, I think our, your listeners will find very interesting. It's a, it's a good story to sit back on the couch, grab some popcorn and glass of wine with your spouse and, and, and listen as a, as a story, uh, as a good movie would, would, uh, would do for you. Yeah. I love that. I, that tune out the noise is a message that we at Foster Group disagree with a hundred percent because there is so much noise, so many things competing for people's attention, kind of telling them a story that may be based on maybe a fear kind of promotion or maybe a greed kind of idea and trying to, you know, really appeal to the emotions of an individual investor yeah. and get them to do something that may not be in their best interest but it's a way to get some motion as opposed to maybe doing the best thing for them. So I, that's been kind of a theme I know at Dimensional for years, and it certainly is a theme that we've uh, resonated with it well as well here at Foster Group. And so yeah, I, I think, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, I think you know the the industry has been built on emotion, and it's been built on you know fear and greed and and our reaction to that emotion. And our reaction is usually that we we trade, we transact, we we do something. Um, and the reality is, all of that that action and those frictions are not good for you as an end investor. So, uh, tuning out the noise and uh, you know trying to reach for calm, trying to be a uh, a different type of investor, I think is really really important to having success. And and just as a comment to that, I think um, the reason why dimensional works with advisors in the, in the form that we do is I think we, we think the advisor is really the coach and somebody who's a, a voice of, of reason, a voice of, uh, um, uh, kind of a rational voice that I think is really, really helpful for any investor along the journey, uh, just to have a, a, a backstop. Um, and clearly advisors do a lot more. They do all of the other wealth management facets that are important, but there's also that aspect of discipline that I think is important. Uh, I have a, an advisor myself, uh, and people always ask, do you have an advisor and you've been in the business for 30 years? Why would you have an advisor? And my advisor is just that he's a counselor. He's a coach. Uh, he's a confidant. Uh, you know, he provides all of that for me and it makes my, my investment journey much, much smoother. Uh, and a really important part of, of, of my financial experience and also for my family, which is the most important part is just knowing, knowing that there's a, a person at the other end that, you know, I've got four kids now and having that person be part of the family, really, um, if I'm not here for God forbid, um, you know, I'd be, be very, very confident having my family, uh, you know, having this person as a, a caretaker for the family in a, in a really important way. Yeah, that's important. I know for a lot of people, we hear that regularly. I have the same yeah. arrangement. I have an advisor who I work with and my wife and I, and, uh, yeah, it's just super important. Hey, um, so hopefully we'll be able to provide a link to our uh, listeners for that movie at some point here in the near future. So if you're watching or listening, you know, look for that link. We'll get it to you. But we're looking forward to seeing the film. So thanks for sharing that with us. Um, hey, uh, one of the things we talked about recently was an investment experience that you had. And uh, so this is kind of turning the corner into talking about investors and investment experiences. One of the ones that you shared with me was one that maybe didn't go quite so well. It had something to do with chicken and the state of Massachusetts, I think. So, uh, you know, maybe you can kind of tell us that uh, for maybe that one of those initial investment stories you had personally that uh, made you consider other ways to think about investing. Yeah, no, it's, it's uh, funny you bring that up. I, you know, every investor has a, again, a navigated path to get to some a solution to some answer. 
Uh, I'm a, a different type of investor today than I was 30 years ago. Uh, but I, if you look back at my career, as I mentioned, I did my MBA at Berkeley and, um, you know, all my finance classes were built around discounted cash flows and, and looking at financial statements and trying to determine whether a stock was undervalued or overvalued. Uh, so I thought that was really what finance was about. And when I took my first job, uh, in New York, uh, one of the big investment banks, um, I decided I would utilize those skills to, to make money in the stock market. And I had a stockbroker guy named Tom that, um, would, would regularly call me and feed me different stock ideas. And I, you know, with my background, I felt I could take those stock ideas and I had a, a system, uh, it was called can slim. The, the acronym was can slim. And it was, you know, C was for, um, for, for current earnings and M was for momentum and I was for institutional ownership and so forth and so on. So I would use this model, this canceling model, and I would look at these stocks and then I would make a decision as to whether I would buy or sell. And in that last year in New York, before coming across Dimensional, um, I had a great start. I had, I had, you know, I was seven and oh, I'd won seven times. I'd actually made money on all seven stock picks I had up to that point. So I thought I was, you know, pretty good <laughs> something special. And then I had this opportunity uh, to buy this stock called Boston Chicken, which I think became Boston Market uh, over time. And, you know, some of your listeners might remember that name. But Boston Chicken was trading at 16. The uh, analyst, the all-star analyst at uh, the investment bank I was at said it was going to trade at 23. Once the earnings came out the following week, I did all my canceling work, thought for sure it was a 20-plus dollar stock. And so I took about 75% of my net worth and put it into this stock. Ooh. And, uh, of course, you know, when the earnings came out, um, the earnings didn't uh, hit uh, where the analysts thought they were. The stock went down to six. Um, I was actually in Utah at the time on a, on a business trip and, and there wasn't, you know, social media, there wasn't uh, internet and so forth. So I pulled out a wall street journal and I opened up the journal and, and saw the six and, you know, kind of my heart, you know, kind of fell through to the ground. And then I actually, I noticed there was a crease in the paper and I thought, well, if I just pull the crease apart, I'm sure there'll be a one inside there. So it'd be a one six. <laughs> and of course there wasn't. Uh, so I finally got a hold of my broker and, and I said, Tom, you know, what happened here? And Tom said, you know, it's, he says, uh, just didn't work out the way we thought it would. I'm sorry. And, um, so that experience was a really big one for me, uh, it, painful at the time, but important for me to recognize that this idea of, uh, investment advice being built around looking in the future and predicting the future. Uh, we used to like to say looking into the crystal ball and trying to figure out what was going to happen in the future. That, that wasn't a business, uh, that could be built into a really sustainable business. Having to say you're sorry Mm. uh, often to your clients is not a sustainable business. Um, so I kind of left that experience a little bit confused, a little bit dazed. Uh, fortunately, three months later, I came across an ad in the wall street journal, and it was an ad for Dimensional Fund Advisors. It, it was, uh, uh, I was sent a resume in and, um, you know, I just heard about a whole different story of how to invest. And so it, it was kind of an actual, really a blessing for me, I guess, in terms of having that kind of experience, because I probably wouldn't have had my eyes open to this type of opportunity or this type of investing if I hadn't had gone through that Boston chicken type experience. So um, it's funny looking back at it at the time, very painful. And I know a lot of investors go through that same experience. So what I always like to tell people, it's like, you know, most people become transformed at some point. 
but you just never know when that transformation is going to happen. And for me, that transformation happened with that Boston chicken event. And then three months later, I heard a, a different story and a story I thought would be one that I could be very sustainable for me as a career. And something I always say that I could look in the mirror and, and feel very confident, feel very positive about recommending to anybody else out there. Um, and I always like to use my mom as an example. You know, I'm mm-hmm. happy to give this kind of story to my mom at any time. Yeah. That's something about the price of education sometimes. It's like how we, how yeah. we pay for education varies. Sometimes we choose to pay it and sometimes we, we pay it maybe unwillingly, but we still get the education. Uh, right. that's true. <laughs> I was sad to see Boston market go under because I, I think I mentioned you, I had a friend of mine when he was living in North Carolina and we would eat regularly. Like we'd meet once a week at Boston chicken, then Boston market, because at what other yeah. fast food location can you get cream spinach? <laughs> I'm not sure anybody wants that today, uh, yeah. but I just remember this was kind of interesting. It was great. Uh, that was, it, was, it was really, really good food. I mean, that was like, that was yeah. the first kind of higher end fast food restaurant. It was, the concept was yeah. great. The food was great, but obviously stock prices and earnings stock are different. Didn't different want, story. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that true? Yeah. Yeah. The stock price sometimes is not related necessarily to the business. Right. Idea. That's a, that's a right. hard lesson to believe. So yeah. I, let's talk about risk for a minute, the kind of the risks that investors face. You you had one there, a good example of one. How do you think risks exist for investors today versus what those risks have been in the past? And then maybe along with that, how does Dimensional help investors to manage or to deal with that kind of risk? Yeah, I think the risks are the same. Uh, I, I do think that uh, given technology and given the internet to given the speed of information that we see today, I think the, the risk is actually elevated. Um, and the ability to stay disciplined in your pursuit of uh, of certain investment returns, I think it becomes more challenging. So um, as you look at you know where we stand today, I think there's just so much more information out there and and, and we really haven't you know, fully grasp or recognize the importance of of what the capital markets are and what risk and return mean and how they're related. <laughs> and sometimes when you see the the nonsense that goes out uh, about, you know, stocks or certain types of uh, changes in the market, artificial intelligence or whatever it might be that, you know, things are going to change and going to be different and you need to change your approach. It's not true. Um, when you look back at, at people, you look back at returns specifically, you know, the, the returns are there to be, uh, they're, they're there for the taking. You know, if you have capital mm-hmm. and you put that capital into this into the market, uh, yeah, you, you're going to get a return associated with that capital. And most likely that return is going to be higher than one where there is no risk, like a, like a fixed income or a T-bill type of a situation. So, um, I think it's important for advisors, particularly in clients, to have those conversations. I think it's important for them to understand that there are returns associated with uh, investments into the capital market, but there's also great variation around those investment returns. And that investment return is not going to show up you know, year in and year out or, or week in and week out. Um, but I think if, if the advisor and, and the client are able to sit down, converse about the topic, uh, make, you know, the, the proper expectations, um, set the expectations properly at the front end, uh, then I think the ability to meet those expectations are, are, are is very high and the ability to have a, a long sustained relationship is very, very high as well. So there's a real difference between, between saying you're going to get a stock return of 20% versus you're going to get a stock return of 10%. And there's a variation, uh, of volatility around that, uh, around that 
at 10%, that's a, a pretty high variation. So let's let's expect and prepare for that. And let's yeah. build out your financial plan in a way that's going to recognize that there is variation year to year. Uh, so I think those kinds of conversations are very different. And I know those mm-hmm. are the kind of conversations that Boston Group has and many of the other advisors we work with have with their clients. And it's not a conversation built around, hey, guess what? I got this new idea and we're going to put a lot of money into that idea and hope for the best. Um, you know, yeah. hoping for the best strategy is not the not a good strategy for for the end investor. So, you know, a much more stable, transformed, comfortable, confident uh, uh, journey, if you will, on the investment side is really, really important. And I think it's, again, hyper important that the advisor is is involved in that along the way. Uh, it's just, no matter, no matter who it is, myself, you know, we all have emotions. We all he- read the news. And as my old uh, mentor, Dan Wheeler, used to say, God forbid, I don't uh, invest your money based upon my opinion. Um, so we all have opinions, but you, you don't, you want to, you don't want to have those opinions involved with your actual investment uh, process. Yeah. Yeah. I think about your two stories there. So there's that Boston chicken, which is kind of a, it's an investment in a stock. It's, but it's a very concentrated investment in one thing, one idea creates kind of a lot of risk on that one. And then you were talking a lot about the capital markets. And I think that's been one of the real kind of breakthroughs in the way, even why there's index funds and things like that is because people recognize, you know, I can diversify the way that I experience risk because the capital market as an entire market can provide return with a just a tremendous level of diversification. So that one idiosyncratic, hey, if I put the wrong, if I put money on the wrong single thing, the risk just goes up, you know, in a way that it doesn't need to for the investor. yeah, there's a possibility that it could home run it, but there's also a possibility it goes exactly the wrong direction. And that undiversified risk is, as you've said, you know, from the academic side, it doesn't seem to be warranted in terms of a risk-adjusted return to try and take this, I'm going to try to pick a company for a particular time versus I'm going to sit with what like Warren Buffett would say, I will take the tailwind of the U.S. market or the U.S. economy as a diversified investment and that can work extremely well. And I yeah, think you guys yeah. really just continue to, to make that clear through the research you do and how you work with advisors and investors both. Yeah, it's, That's it's, really, it's really a more high percentage yeah. way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's amazing how the education system doesn't really recognize that. I mean, I, yeah, I spent you know four years of undergrad business school, two years of business uh, uh, getting my master's, getting my MBA. And most of my classes were built around specific stocks and how to identify the stock versus th- that concept, diversification and, and being important. Um, and for me, it really took, uh, you know, my, my interview at Dimensional, my first interview, I, I mentioned the story to you as well. When I, when I came out to Santa Monica, California to interview with Dimensional, uh, one of the first pe- people I met was a guy named Merton Miller. Uh, and Merton was a uh, Nobel prize winner in finance. And, and, um, we actually, happened to go to lunch. I got to go to lunch with Merton, uh, my first <laughs> interview at Dimensional. And I, you know, I always say, I remember this day, he said three things. He said, you know, um, markets work. He says, costs matter and diversification is your buddy. And he said, if you can have, keep those three things in your mind, you're going to be a great investor. And it's, a, it's surprising to me that I was probably 35 years old, 36 years old at the time. And it took, you know, that many years to get a a clean, simple message like that for me to actually then understand it and recognize it and go, hmm, yeah, that is important. So those, those three concepts are really 
the basics are kind of the, the bedrock for any any uh, investor. You know, if you if you can do those three mm-hmm. things well, then you're going to be off. You're better off than than most of the investors out there, which I think is really really important. Um, Dimensional would say, you know, we, we also go beyond that and we do daily implementation and we identify certain risk dimensions that we we efficiently capture and so forth. So you can do a bit more than just those three, but but those three are really important for for a, as a starting point for any investor. Right. You don't want to lose sight of it. I, I appreciate the fact that a Nobel Prize winner can describe investing in a way that anyone can understand. I mean, that's really a lot of academics can't do that. You know, they they're giving you formulas and all kinds of things that are just uh, I'm sure they're very interesting, but they're not as accessible. So it's great to hear, you know, that someone who's who's had all the information, done all the work, has all the technical, he can say, at the end of the day, this is what the information tells us. I think that's yeah. just super Yeah, I think valuable. that's really important. I mean, one of, one of the lessons I've learned through my both my athletic life and business life is just that, is simplicity and summary. And the more mm-hmm. complication mm-hmm. that um, somebody's able to understand, the better they're able to to drive to a simple summarized version of that uh, complication. Um, so every great business leader I've seen, every great coach, you know, have they've always narrowed it down to, hey, what are three things that we need to do to be really successful in basketball? And what are the three things we really need to do to be able to be a, a great business firm? And sometimes yeah. people assume simplicity is not um, that impressive, but I always think the opposite. I think simplicity is very, very impressive because – to your point, when I've talked to the Nobel Prize winners that I have, Gene Fama is one of them. Um, you know, those guys know everything, and yet they're able to narrow in and summarize and describe something in very, very simple terms. Uh, and I think that's what is impressive, and I think that's what really allows great ideas to to come about and, and come to fruition. So I, I think that's what's happened here um, in a lot of ways. I mean, people. We do this. We do pretty much a, a lot of the same things, but we do them in a really, really informed, uh, efficient manner that I think uh, people do appreciate uh, over time. Yeah. So that's great. A story about Merton. I another question I like to ask people is kind of this idea of you know, aside from your parents, who I know have huge influence in all of us, uh, what who else has had kind of a major influence on you? How you think about investing, business, whatever it might be. Um, it's kind of always hard for me when I say who's had the most, it's always hard yeah. to pick out the one. So I'll say who's had significant influence that you would go, yeah, this person, because of who they are, what they've said really has had kind of a lasting influence on you. Yeah. I guess the guy that, um, would come to my mind immediately is Dan Wheeler. And Dan is the guy that hired me at dimensional 30 years ago. Dan is the guy that was the first independent financial advisor to work with dimensional Dan was the first advisor to use dimensional funds with his clients. But Dan was this really, again, very, very smart person, uh, had a great presence about him. Uh, when I first uh, sent that that resume in to dimensional, you know, I was sitting on the desk in New York, um, very confused about what I wanted to do. I thought I was going to be go go be a, a basketball coach and a teacher in high school. That was going to be my my next move because I thought, Finance just didn't make a lot of a lot of sense to me. I didn't see the right outcomes for for the end clients, and I didn't really see an out that would make me want to stay in the industry and feel good about what I'm doing. And mm-hmm. so I sent that resume out, and I fortunately ran into this guy Dan Wheeler, um, and I went up to the 11th floor in Santa Monica. Dan was there to greet me. You know, he sat me down at his desk and and you know kind of 
said some things that I, to this day, resonate with me. And, you know, one of them was just this idea of transparency about independent advice. And he, mm. he described this great model of, you know, the old model was the, the crystal ball model, you know, always having to say you're sorry. And he said, no, we, we've got this new model of advice and the model is built around independence where there'd be this independent asset manager, and in this case, Dimensional. And Dimensional was an expert in capital markets and capital market research, portfolio management trading. And then there was this person called an independent advisor who was the expert in the client experience, and they knew everything about the client. And he said, you know, the combination of those two uh, would, would be able to deliver the best client experience possible. And I'd never really thought about that in, in those terms. And Dan, again, was a, was a very, very smart person. And he had been on the other side of this uh, kind of finance advice question. And he said he, you know, as a birthday present to himself, he left that world and became an independent advisor. So um, this idea of independence was really, really uh, eye-opening for me. And uh, when he described it and he described what he was doing at Dimensional, uh, that changed everything for me. I was like, I as you know, it's kind of the aha moment. And and I said, yeah, I, I can do this and I can, I can be proud of what I'm doing. I can feel good about what I'm doing. Um, but it was interesting to just have this, this independence concept be so important to that outcome for the client. Um, you know, Foster is an independent advisor. Foster makes decisions on behalf of the client. They decide who they work with, whether it's dimensional or somebody else. It's the, it's an independence there. There's no connection between dimensional and foster. So, you know, right. that's an important uh, aspect. And I think um, in the 80s, when I was first coming in the business, there was most of the models were very integrated. You know, the the mm -hmm. asset manager built portfolios. They had employees who were advisors and sold those those portfolios. And then they had the custody and they had the platform where everything sat on uh, those those portfolios sat on the on the custody platform. So there was really an integration model that didn't allow for independence and didn't allow for transparency. And so Dan was really the first uh, advisor out there that kind of said, nope, wait a minute, this is actually better for the client. Let's start with the client first and not with the firms and trying to figure out what's best for the firms. Let's figure out what's best for the client. And his thought was that if clients had great experiences, then the advisor would also have success because those clients would be happy. They would refer colleagues and friends to that advisor and that advisor would grow uh, in, their own, in their own space. So advisor success and client success I think are, are wrapped into really wrapped into one. And I think that's been, you know, a, a true legacy for, again, not a name that anybody would know, but Dan Wheeler. Um, I think yeah. all of us in, in this community know his name very, very well. He passed away uh, about nine months ago, back in February of last year. Yeah. Um, and just the amount of uh, accolades and, you know, thoughts and comments and prayers for him. I mean, it was just, I mean, really incredible. I mean, there's so many people that were, really affected by by this guy dan and, and myself included uh for sure yeah. yeah i know our two founders jerry foster and mark statlander they told stories about dan as well being very kind of influential for them because that really is our our model here as you know and i i love that when i'm talking with a a client or investor and they say well what makes you pick you know one investment over another and say well we pick the investments that we think are best for you, the client. Uh, we're not receiving any compensation from any investment firm. And so, you know, our interest is just to do what is best for you. Mm -hmm. And we, we as, a, as an advisor, it's really 
I think, a position of strength and comfort to, to look at the investor and go, you know, there's nothing going on here in my decision making other than I really want you to have a great experience. And we're going to try and do all we can to make sure that happens. Um, yeah, you know, that's, just, that's it, true. It, right? the, yeah. That transparency is fantastic. So, yeah, it's a, it's and a, we it's hear a that really from you guys all the time. Yeah, it's a it's a noble noble profession, I think. And you know, Dan used to describe it. People often say fiduciary, meaning trust, mm-hmm. the trusted position. But he used to talk about it as being sitting on the same side of the table as a client. You know, and yeah. in his old world, his his view was, you know, you sat on the opposite side of the table. I had my objectives, you had your objectives. And in this new model, he said the advisor would sit on the same side of the table and they would be working in the best interest of the client. And that was a that was a real game changer in terms of what financial advice meant uh, at that time. And and clearly the model has worked out very, very well. The the, the fiduciary sit on the right side of the table model has, has been the one that's uh it's massively grown over the last, you know, 20 years. And that's kind of what, you know, where again, where Dimensional has been involved with uh, has been in that space as well. The other part I think is just, is just sort of in the education part. And I, when I think about Dimensional, you know, we're, we're a unique firm in terms of what we offer. And um, we talked a lot about indexing and passive management, but you know, what Dimensional does is very, very different. Um, There's a lot of subtleties in terms of kind of how we do daily implementation, how we think about reconstitution, how we, think about different exclusions of stocks and so forth. And so when, for us, the ability for us to work with professional advisors and have really in-depth conversations and let them really kick the tires on us and understand why would you use Dimensional uh, versus a a standard index fund? Um, It's really up to us to be able to make that case to the advisor. And if if the advisor buys into that case and that story, which which I think they should, (laughs) um, then... (laughs) Then they they would propose that to their their client, um, but that's a that's an important aspect of the business as well. So we you know, people always say, well, how'd you get so big? You're almost seven hundred billion, and, and you've never advertised before. And I think anybody in the audience would recognize if if you do something well, mm-hmm. and you have people that would recommend you and refer you, uh, you don't really have to advertise to to have quote unquote business success. So I think that's what's happened for us, and and hopefully we've as I said earlier, we've we've sort of we've set expectations and we've, we've met those expectations. Hopefully Foster would agree that, you know, over the 25 or 30 years that we've been working together, that we've met the expectations regularly. And and that, that turns into this concept of trust and, and uh, trust is really what the whole relationship is about, whether it's advisor and, and dimensional or dimensional and the client or the advisor and client, it's all built around trust. Exactly. Yeah. Remember another Nobel prize winner, uh, Bob Merton, when I was at one of your advanced conferences, he talked about the trust formula. You know, for him, it was character plus competence equals trust. And, yep, uh, yep. you know, we, we added character plus competence plus care is kind of for us when we think about our client relationship. That's really what we hope to bring to every client relationship, that they'll feel truly cared for in this kind of trusted relationship. If we can provide that again, another Nobel prize winner who can just talking about, hey, what really happens in the world of finance for the benefit of the client or the investor, it's this idea of trust and how do you develop it? How do you warrant it? How do you keep it? That's a big right. deal. I, I love, I, I've been using a quote from David Booth, one of the founders of Dimensional. I love this idea of educated optimism is the antidote mm-hmm. for, I think, uh, anxiety, particularly as it relates to the market or uncertain anxiety. And um, I just love that idea of educated optimism because I think, again, you talk about education, you know, if we look back at where we've been, how markets work, kind of where we are, 
there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic that markets will continue to provide you know, reasonable returns for investors who mm -hmm. understand kind of that risk return trade-off. So I'll just pose it to you, uh, Dave, what makes you a educated optimist about the future of markets and kind of investment experience? Yeah, yeah. No, you, you summed it up. When you look at the, the long-term data, I mean, markets return about 10% the last 100 years. Um, you know, we get caught up in the moment. We get caught up in the news. As one of my colleagues calls it, investment pornography that's out there. It's just, it's stuff that, that is really built to make us react uh, to some emotion, you know, fear or greed. So we, if markets are great and we get excited about a certain area of the market, you know, we're going to get the phone call to, to invest more in that part of the market. You know, so the big technology stocks are doing well right now. So people, that becomes, okay, I think that's safe, but, you know, it's, um, it, it's it's those kinds of concepts. You, you you have to always just pull yourself back. You get to the, your your investment policy statement, the one that's been built out over time, uh, viewed properly, um, and and working with a good coach, a good advisor, and 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 if you can stay with that, you know we've got the tools, we've got the actual portfolios that are that are cost effective and tax efficient and diversified. So we've got all that. The the big problem we have often is is sometimes the emotion that is attached to those portfolios. So uh, that, again, that's where the advisor comes in. It's usually, as one advisor told me one time, it's usually not uh, people with portfolio problems, it's portfolios with people problems. You know? um, <laughs> so that I've always I've always liked that. Um, and I think that's true. So, you know, we can do all we can on our end, you can do all you can on your end. Uh, but this, at, at some point, the client has to become quote unquote transformed and they have to be relaxed and they have to understand that, in an optimistic way that there's a uh, a return associated with offering your capital into the capital markets and um yeah and looking at long-term returns and long-term histories i think is a great way to actually get comfort in that um because if 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 we're reacting and looking at just short-term views and daily movements of stock prices and so forth we're always going to have a reaction that's probably not going to be helpful my my uh one of my advisors also said at one time he said if you look at most people's best investment in their life and we just talked about this the other day Kent is their home mm. and that's a lot of cases because the home is very stable and people have families and they don't want to move and and we mm. don't have anybody coming on the TV or on the radio <laughs> saying hey your home just dropped uh 1.5% in value yesterday we don't hear that and so what that puts us in is a position where People like my parents, I'm sure you and my, mm. my parents have been in the same home for 50 years. And they always mm. say, this is the best investment we've ever had. And, and, and partly it's because they haven't had any noise. They've tuned out the noise, if you will. Yeah. Uh, there isn't noise around the stock, around around the uh, real estate market, like your, your personal home. So anything that we can do to kind of minimize the noise, I think, tune out the noise, if you will, um, mm. is going to be very, very helpful to your long-term returns. And, and if you look at compound returns over time, they can be massive uh, yeah. if you just leave the portfolio and, and <laughs> place where it is. So uh, it's an it's an important concept that people usually don't pick up until somewhere later in life. So the earlier we can get to that, I think the better off most investors will be. Yeah, again, it's that education. The educated optimism is the great antidote for kind of this anxious uncertainty because the world we live in is uncertainty. It's full of uncertainty. There's going to be surprises in the short term, certainly this year. You know, we're in a political year. There's always lots of uncertainty about what's going to happen. But I think that education, kind of looking at how things have worked, thinking about the way markets work, just the incentives in the system. I mean, there's a lot of reasons to be 
optimistic about the future. I know that we are. We try to continue to share that with people who you know, are listening to us or clients of ours. And we appreciate that you guys are doing the same thing. And uh, just, again, mm-hmm. appreciate your time today with us. Appreciate the relationship with Dimensional and all the work that you and the kind of the professional, <laughs> the Nobel Prize winners, the researchers who have been uh, working along with you for so many years. I think a lot of investors have benefited from that. So thanks for your contributions. And we look forward to many years of continued relationship with your firm. Thank you, Kent. Best to all your investors. And as we say, tune out the noise and and, and stay confident in the in the outcomes that you, you that you should expect. That's right. Great. All right. Thanks, Dave. Have a great day. Okay. Thanks. See you, Kent. Hey, thanks for joining me today in my conversation with Dave Butler here on Financial Perspectives. Uh, I've known Dave for a number of years, as I mentioned. I think he's a fascinating guy with some great stories. I hope you thought so, too. We're hoping to interview some more people like Dave over the course of the year, so look for those episodes as they come out. But until then, thanks for watching today, and we'll look forward to seeing you the next time. The previous presentation by Foster Group was intended for general information purposes only. No portion of the presentation serves as the receipt of or as a substitute for personalized investment advice from Foster Group or any other investment professional of your choosing. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk, and it should not be assumed that future performance of any specific investment or investment strategy, or any non-investment related or planning services, discussion or content, will be profitable, be suitable for your portfolio or individual situation, or prove successful. Foster Group is neither a law firm nor accounting firm, and no portion of its services should be construed as legal or accounting advice. No portion of the content should be construed by a client or prospective client as a guarantee that he or she will experience a certain level of results if Foster Group is engaged, or continues to be engaged, to provide investment advisory services. A copy of Foster Group's current written disclosure brochure discussing our advisory services and fees is available upon request or at www.fostergrp.com disclosures.